If you are new here today, which I do see some new people here today, you came in a very interesting week. <laughs> All right, the people that are laughing know why, because they know what today's message is about, okay? Uh, we are in a series called Relationship goals, all right? And it's been uh, three weeks so far of this relationship goals series. And how many of y'all have been here for at least part of it and you've enjoyed it so far? Come on. It's been fun. It really has. I enjoy talking about relationships. I was a, a youth pastor, a young adults pastor for a while, and especially the youth and the young adults, man, they, they just ate that stuff up. They really, really needed it. But I think it's so important, even as adults, even if you've been married for 20 years, right? Even if, if you feel like you have it all together, man, there is always something that we can be getting better at in our relationships. And there's always something more that you can learn from God's word about relationships. And so that's why we've been doing it. And we looked at the first week, the first relationship goal is to have a Christ honoring relationship, right? That's the number one goal that we can have. So that's what we looked at week one. Week two is all about trust. The message was, do you trust me? Talking about accountability versus trust. Are those things opposing or can they work together? And what does it look like to trust God and lean on him and not our own understanding so that we can trust our spouses? We can trust those people we're in relationships with. And then uh, last week we talked about the heart of communication, not the art of communication, right? Because before you get to the art of communication, you got to first get to the heart of communication. And that's really important. We talked about the heart being mutual submission. That's what it's all about. It's not about trying to win, which is so easy to want to do, right? It's not about leaving and retreating and walking away, but it's about mutually submitting to one another and taking that hopes, dreams, and desires box that we had up here and not pulling it and trying to get your way all the time, but saying, you know what? I'll drop my end of the rope. Why? Because Jesus dropped his first for you. So that's where we're at. And today uh, you get the distinct privilege if you're here today. We're going to be talking about sex in church. Oh, everybody said, oh no. Oh no. Why did I come today? Why did I invite my friend here today? Yes, that's what we're talking about because it's so, so important. How many of you know that it is a very, very important topic that is not talked about enough maybe in the church, right? I don't think we talk about it enough. And I think we should look at what the Bible has to say. And so I think that there's three entities, if you will, that kind of speak to uh, sex, opinions on sexuality, and the way uh, that, that we think about sex. And it's, it's number one is culture, right? Culture will, will talk about it a lot, okay? They got a lot to say about sex. And then the church has uh, some stuff to say about sex. And then the Bible has a lot to say about it. And you might think, well, the church and the Bible, that should be the same thing. Well, sometimes it's not. All right, so we're going to look at maybe what the difference is and where there are some differences and maybe where we can reconcile some of those differences. So before anyone freaks out, okay, I just want you to know it is not even close to a rated R message. If you have kids in here, I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. We're going to keep it super, you know, PG in between the PG-13, okay? Like, so you don't have to freak out. I had a few people ask me, like, uh, should I come this week? Is it going to get really awkward? Because I went to another church, they talked about sex, and they, like, were talking about their personal life. I was like, no, we're not getting into any of that stuff, okay? Like, Lindsay asked last night to review my notes before today, okay? And so, you know, she said, it looks good. You know, just don't do anything weird. You know, and I'm like, I promise I won't, babe. I swear. Uh, so I just want to give that disclaimer before we get into it. Don't freak out. All right. It's all going to be okay. So, uh, but the title of the message is sex is good. <laughs> Amen, pastor. Can I get one from the gents? All right. You know what I'm saying? Hey, all right. That is the title of the message. If I had to title it, that's what I would put it. And I'll get to why I titled that a little bit 
later. But that is the title of the message. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through what culture says, what the church says, and then what the Bible says. So let's start with what does culture say about sex? What does culture say about it? You know they have a lot of things to say. Uh, I don't know if anybody has ever watched the show uh, The Bachelor or The Bachelorette before. Uh, it's a little bit of a guilty pleasure, my wife and I, okay? I'm not even going to lie. Like, it, it, it's, 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 a, it's a drama show, but the premise of it, honestly, when it first started, the premise of the show, like 20 years ago, I guess, it was a cool show, right? They, they were just trying to get some people together that were just looking for love, right? In all the wrong places, okay? So, but they're getting together, looking for love, and, and they're, they're going through all this stuff, and they're trying to, like, fast track. Is this possible for you to, uh, to fall in love in just a couple of months with somebody? Do you have these extravagant dates? You know, you go through 20 different women or 20 different men, whatever it is, right? Uh, and they get through this. But the problem is, is there are some crazy people on that show, all right? There are some weirdos. They come in with some, like, crazy things, and they, like, bounce in, you know, on a bouncy ball or, like, ride in on a camel or something like that, and they're, like, trying to meet this guy or whatever it might be, okay? They do some super weird things. And a lot of these people, they just think that they're God's gift to earth, okay? It's it's really frustrating to see, like, how some of these girls and guys act. It's like, oh, my goodness, like, y'all are terrible, right? Um, but... The thing that I, that I dislike the most about this show, and I think the thing that is so, so anti-biblical about this show, is they get to this point in the show that is called the fantasy suites. The fantasy suites. And what they do is they, Chris Harrison walks in, right? Or they have this little thing on the table, and it's like it has a little, a little note, and you open it up, and it says, if you choose to forego your individual rooms, you can choose to take this key and go to the room together and spend that time together for quality talking. Okay, right? And so they, they decide if they want to do that or not, and more often than not, they will say yes, right? And here's the thing that I think this show gets so, so wrong and that culture will tell you day in and day out is that this fantasy suite is an opportunity for you to try it before you buy it, right? How many of you ever heard that before when it comes to sex? Man, you got to try it before you buy it. Well, well, what if you're not physically compatible? What if you're not you know, sexually attracted to this person or you, you know, yeah, like I love you and stuff, but, but then what if we get into the bedroom and it's just not happening? It's just weird. You know, like, I, you know, we're into different things, whatever. And like, we're just not on the same wavelength. And so maybe, you know, if we're not there, then we can't get married, right? There's no way you can marry somebody that you haven't had sex with before. That's what culture wants you to believe. That's what culture will tell you is that you can try it before you buy it. And you see it all throughout culture. It's not just in this one TV show, y'all. In music, it is everywhere, okay? I hope that you're not listening to a lot of the top 50 right now because it is trash, y'all. It is absolute trash. And now I know some of y'all might be like, okay, the 60s, the 70s, and 80s had some trash stuff too, and it really did. A lot of it was very, very suggestive, okay? And I'm not saying that it's not. If you look up some of the lyrics and you actually kind of, you can kind of figure out what it means as an adult, but maybe your kids, like, they can't figure out what it means because, you know, you're a little bit older, you understand stuff, right? Now, they don't even try to, it's not even suggestive. They just come right out and say it, you know? Like, this is, this is what I'm gonna do to you. This is what you're gonna do to me and it's gonna be great. And it's like, oh my gosh, like, it is incredible the things that you will hear in music nowadays. It's hard to find a clean song even nowadays. And, and even the Grammys. I don't know if any of y'all tried to watch the Grammys. I didn't, honestly, but I heard a little bit about uh, one of the performances in particular that was just absolutely trash. One of the most disgusting things that has ever been on television, okay? And, and, and the fact that they even allow some of this stuff is just absolutely crazy. Uh, but it's horrible. It's horrible. And then on TV, 
everything is rated M for mature now. I cannot find a show for the life of me to watch with Lindsay now that does not have some kind of sexual thing in there that's just like somebody taking off clothes that they should not be, right? It's usually within the first two episodes too. Somebody will do something and then we'll, we'll be trying to watch it and we're just like, well, all right, turn that one off. Like, let's try to find another show now. Like, we obviously don't want to watch this anymore. And I don't know if it was like this before, maybe 10, 15 years ago, 20, 30 years ago, but I feel like the stuff that's on TV now, once again, I mean, it is like soft porn on television, y'all. It, it's bad, and it's just at the click of a button on Netflix, and you could just right there access it. Your kids, boom, right there access it, right? And it is just horrible, the things that you see nowadays. Lastly, and, and most importantly for the kids, you guys will understand this, is TikTok. You guys know what TikTok is, okay? You know what Snapchat is? Social media is getting more and more and more sexualized as the time goes on. TikTok kind of started out as a fun little thing for teens, right? It usually was just a bunch of dancing videos, like, like middle school, high school kids that would just dance and be silly and like make you know, popular dance things that would go viral and all that stuff. But then it turned into this massive thing. But really, if you look at, and, and the way the algorithm works is if you get in there and you look at stuff that's good, it'll start showing you stuff that's good, right? But when you first get in, if you, if you download it, and the very first thing that you will see is 13-year-old girls like you know, doing some crazy dance moves with no clothes on. It's crazy, y'all. I'm telling you. And that's what it glorifies. The most viral videos on that platform are going to be the ones where somebody is doing some kind of dance, where it's just glorifying a song that's terrible, like we talked about earlier. It is so over-sexualized. And that is what our kids are seeing every single day. That's what they're looking at. It's glorifying that. This is what culture teaches us about sex, right? That sex is meant to be enjoyed with whoever, whenever, as long as it makes you, what? Happy. As long as it makes you happy. You do whatever you want. You do you, I'll do me, right? You know, I'll just do whatever I want to do. And as long as it feels good, like we're good, you know? Uh, that is what culture says. And we're force fed this sex mindset in movies, TV shows, social media, and even in schools. And if you don't believe me, I'd encourage you to look at some of the stuff that your schools are teaching your kids, y'all. It is crazy. Here is a thing that we're going to do. We're going to do a couple of these and they're called Sex facts, all right? I was going to do like a little like, but I, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> sex facts, all right? 80% of adolescents find out about sex from peers, TV, or internet, not from parents, educators, or church. Now, I want to leave that up on the screen for a little bit because I just want you to let this sink in for a second. That is four out of five students, adolescents, find out about sex from peers, TV, or internet, not from parents, educators or church. Here's the thing. I get it. All right. Why would they find out from peers on the internet? Because it's awkward for parents to have to talk to their kids about it. Okay. Like I understand that that is an awkward conversation to have. And how many of y'all maybe got, you know, the talk when you were growing up. Okay. Uh, the birds and the bees, right. Whatever that might be. And some of y'all parents in here sitting with your kids, maybe you're just like, Oh, we haven't had this conversation yet. Have fun after this sermon. Lunch is going to be great. <laughs> but, um, it's awkward, okay? Like, I understand it's, it's a weird thing to talk about. So it makes sense that a lot of parents choose not to talk to their kids about it because they just don't want to mess with it. They don't want things to get weird between them and their kids. A lot of times they don't want to maybe enlighten their kids about something that maybe they think they don't know about yet, okay? But did your youth group ever talk about it? I was just talking to a few of our, our kids' pastor, Caroline, and her husband, Stephen. We all went to the same youth group in high school. And uh, I've known Stephen since kindergarten. And I honestly cannot remember one time that, uh, that our youth group, that we talked about sex, I don't think we ever did. 
And if we did, uh, I probably don't remember it because I was probably snickering in the back with my friends. So maybe I'm not the best person to ask about that, right? But uh, do you remember hearing about it in church? Honestly, not really for the most part. I took a poll of our team this morning. and It was about half of the people had heard about it, uh, talked about it in church at some point or another. And I think that, that that's really, really sad. Um, we need to talk about it more. And, and the reason that I think that, let's get into the, the second thing. So we know what culture says about sex, right? We, we just do whatever makes you happy, whoever, whenever, whatever. But what about the church? So what does the church say about sex? Usually, this is what the church says. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's bad. It's evil. Stay away from it. Abstinence for life, right? That's how, that's how it seems like the church approaches sex, right? So many times that you kind of just get that vibe when you're growing up as a kid, especially if you grew up in church, right? You know what I'm talking about, okay? It's like, just don't talk about it. Don't do it. Stay away from it. You know, like six feet apart, you know, you're at the middle school dance going like this kind of action, you know, like just stay away, right? And then everything will be okay. It's evil. The church largely ignores the topic, I think, unfortunately. For the most part, the church doesn't really talk too much about it. Here's the issue I have with that. Sex fact. All right. I don't know if I'm going to do that anymore. That's weird. (laughs) Half of all high school students have had a sexual experience. Half. Now, that's probably not too unbelievable based off of where we're at in our culture, in our nation, in our world. But this is what I want to say, and I want to kind of address for a second parents of, of of children that are honestly anywhere until 18, okay? I mean, you can even have eight-year-olds, right? You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking to you right now. If you're uncomfortable about letting your middle school or high school student hear about this topic, I promise they already have. I promise they already have. And what I want to talk about right now is something called the anchoring bias. I don't know if you ever heard about this before, but I want to give you an example of what it is, and then I'll explain to you why it matters. If you were to buy a new car, I know Alec and his wife just got a new car, so this might be good for them. Uh, it's too late now, but if you're buying a new car, you might have read online, okay, let's say that the average price for this car was $27,000. This is the average price. You know, you go in and you're kind of looking for, for this car about that price. And you walk into the dealer and they say, we'll give it to you for $26,50, right? Or $26,500. And you'll say, yes, like that's $500 less than 27. That, that's so much better than what I expected, okay? And so uh, you go ahead and buy the car and you're all excited about it, except then you find out a little bit later that the dealer right across town was offering it for 24000 You're like, oh my gosh, that's 2500 less than what I paid, 3000 less than the average price that I saw online. And you might be kicking yourself at this point, right? You're like, why did I jump on this deal? Like, I thought this was a great deal. Why did I do this? I can't believe that doesn't even make any sense. I can't believe I did it. And why did you jump so quickly on that offer? Because your initial research told you that 27,000 was the average price. So the first offer seemed really, really great to you. You might've overlooked some further information that you could have got afterwards and the possibility that other dealers might have had lower prices. And you just made a decision based off of the information that you had first, the, the information you already had, which served as an anchoring point in your mind. So the anchoring bias suggests that we favor the first bit of information that we learn. You will always favor the first bit of information that you learn. And I promise that you, if you think about this for a second, you'll understand. How many of you ever heard a story from somebody 
right? About, oh, this is what happened, right? If something bad happened, and they say, oh, no, this is what happened, okay? And then you hear another story, another version of that story from somebody else. Who are you more likely to believe? The first person that you heard it from. Why? Because it's hard to change your mind about something after you've already been told the story, after you already know the first piece of information. That's why it's so important even in relationships, even in just in life in general. My pastor would always tell me, he would always tell us this, if something goes wrong or you do something wrong, you always better tell me first because if I get surprised from somebody else and hear it from somebody else first, he said, that's gonna be a problem, right? Because then he knows even in his mind that he's gonna be having to believe whatever they say first, right? And then he's caught off guard and now he has to come talk to the staff member about the thing that happened. He said, but if you will come clean or if you will just tell me what happened first, tell me the altercation that happened or whatever it was first, because how many of y'all know church people are still crazy, okay? Uh, so he's like, you tell me whatever happened and then when they come and tell me about it, I'll have a, a kind of an anchor to know like what I'm dealing with here, right? What does this have to do with our kids in this topic of sex? If you do not teach your kids about sex first, the world will gladly do it for you. It will gladly do it for you. And they will probably remember what the world says before they remember what you say two months later, six months later, five years later, or never later, because you just don't ever talk to them about it. Do you want your kids to hear it first from their friend? Do you want them to hear it from Netflix? You want them to hear it from the Grammys? I sure hope not. You want them to hear it from Snapchat, from TikTok, online, from any other music? Or do you want them to hear it from a godly perspective? Do you want them to hear it from you first so that you can help them understand healthy sexuality from a biblical, godly perspective? If you do not talk about it, and if we don't talk about it here, no matter how much you try to shelter them, they are going to hear about it from somewhere or something somewhere else, and their entire mindset will be shaped by an understanding that they received from a worldly source. And that's not okay. I want to be a church, too, that teaches the whole Bible. I hope that you want to be that church. I want to be a church that talks about every little piece of the Bible. And I want you as parents to be bold about teaching your kids about these things, even when it's uncomfortable. And the problem is, is so many times in church, we'll pick and choose things that are comfortable to talk about. And we leave out the taboo subjects, right? We leave out the things that might cause a little bit of division. Our very first sermon series that we did here at the church was on politics and the church, right? We've, we launched in September, right before the election in coronavirus, and I preached four weeks on politics in the church. Now, I had some people say, you're nuts for doing that. And I said, you know what? This is what people are thinking about. This is what we are caring about right now. And the Bible has a lot to say about this. So no, I'm not gonna stay away from it. We're gonna talk about it. And I want you to have that same level of boldness with your kids at the right time in the right place when they're the right age for you and your family. Have that conversation with them. But I promise you, they're probably hearing about it a little bit earlier than you think that they are. They probably know a little bit more than you think that they do. I don't want to skip over topics. Why? Because 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What does that say? All scripture, not some, not the things that we like to talk about in church. All scripture is important and should be used for the equipping for every good work. So that's what culture says about sex. That's what the church has historically said about sex. So what does the Bible say about it, right? And I said earlier that, that 
it should be the same, right? The church and the Bible, they should be kind of saying the same things, but, but they really have not. Because what the Bible says about sex is very different than what the church has historically said. Where the church has largely condemned and ignored sex, the Bible encourages and teaches about it. That's a lot different, right? Those things should be the same, but they're not. The Bible encourages it in the right context and teaches about how to do it in the right context. And so I have four things for you under this point. What does the Bible say about sex? I have four things that the Bible says. If you're taking notes, I hope that you are. This is all really, really important for all of us. Number one is God designed it. God designed it, okay? Uh, Genesis 1, 27 through 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That's what a lot of people will look at. They'll look at that part. But I kind of want to look at the first part of that verse. God created man in his own image. God is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? He's three persons, one God. And I know that's a difficult thing for us to understand. That's a mystery of God that we can't ever fully comprehend, right? Uh, is that God is three distinct persons, but he's one God. And, and the Bible says that he created us in his image, right? We're, we're created in the image of God. And so we are meant to reflect God even in our sexuality, right? His design was through marriage that we would be able to honor him. He created that framework of marriage, of male and female. What, what do we do when we get married, right? We say this, it's, it's a cute little thing we can say, but two become one, right? It's so cute, okay? Like everything we do is together. What's mine is yours and what's yours is mine, you know, like all that stuff, okay? And so, but it's really a biblical concept that we are not two now. We are two distinct persons, but we are also one, right? And God joined us together. That's a reflection of God. That's a reflection of his image, of his character, of who he actually is. He's three in one. And as a married couple, you are two, but you are one. This was God's design for marriage. One man, one woman for one lifetime. That was his design for us to be able to have children, to take over the earth, to subdue the earth and enjoy each other within that covenant of marriage. That's how God designed it. Secondly, God calls it good. God said it was good, y'all. He said it was good. And so that's why the title of the message today is Sex is Good. All right, let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. That is Hebrews 13, four. That's Paul right there. He says that marriage is a good thing. Marriage is great, right? Let it be held in honor. I don't know if you know this, this actually isn't even in my notes, but I was just looking at this the other day that, that the, the rate of marriage in the U.S. has dropped drastically, drastically. There's, there's not as many divorces right now, but really it's actually because more people are just choosing not to get married, okay? It's not because there's all, the same number of married people and then they're just not getting divorced. That would be great. No, no, no. They're just not getting married anymore because they don't want to deal with any of the, the strings attached, right? So it's actually a lot more grim than, than what the numbers might look at initially, okay? Uh, but he says it is a good thing, why he talks even a little bit later about, well, I wish that all of you would be single. And that might be for some of you theologians out there. You're like, well, Paul said, like, I wish that all of you were single. Well, he did say, I wish all of you would be single. The reason he said that is because it's more of a practical thing. If I have a wife and four kids, right, 
it's a little bit more difficult for me to devote myself completely to the work of God, right? I got a wife to take care of. I got all these kids. Okay, and Paul, he's basically saying like, listen, if you can, you know, and it's not going to be an issue for you, you know, be single and just serve God your whole life and that'd be great. And that was the choice that he made, okay? Uh, But he, he also says, let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. So he also gets, listen, okay, like marriage is a good, good thing. And it's important for us to honor it and keep our bedrooms pure from sin. And that's what leads us into the third thing is that God gives commands. He gives us straight up commands about sex, what to do and what not to do, okay? He ain't getting specific, but you can infer a lot of things from these commands, okay? Ephesians 5.3, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people, okay? Let there be, in, 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 uh, in, in the Greek, it says, let there be no. And when you translate no, it means no, okay? None, okay? No sexual immorality, all right? Don't do it. Stay away from it. And the Bible talks so many times about the, the dangers of sexual immorality and how it can affect you in your life, how it's going to affect. And you just look at the stories, right? Look at David. Look at so many people in the Bible that were very negatively affected because of, of sexual impurity in their lives. And so there's some obvious ones that you can think of, okay? Number one, don't have sex until you're married. Okay, that should be obvious, but like it's not. Okay, like it's really not. Why? Because a lot of 13, 14, 15 year olds are hearing from culture, do whatever you want, right? So we got to make sure we say these things, all right? Even as parents, make sure that your kids know that, okay? You think they do? Maybe they don't, right? Because culture's trying to teach them something else. And if you haven't talked to them up until this point and they've been on TikTok and they've been listening to the music and they've been watching these TV shows, they might have an anchoring bias that's pulling them back to the first piece of information they learned about this, which says that it's totally fine to do that. What their friends say, oh, it must be fine, right? Listen, we got to talk about it. Don't do it until you're married. That's what the Bible says. Should be obvious, but it's not. Don't have sex with anyone else aside from your spouse. Should be obvious. And yet adultery is rampant through our society. There are people that are just just having sex with whoever they want. They bring people into their bedroom. They have open relationships, right? There's all these kinds of crazy things that people are doing now. And it's not anything that's been new. These are things that have happened for thousands of years. But listen, we have to make sure that we stay away from these things. And then the last one, which is talked about here in Ephesians 5, is stay away from any other form of sexual immorality. And that could be anything from masturbation to pornography. Pornography, y'all. At the click of a button, you can find it anywhere. And I mean, back in the 70s, you know, 80s, you had to like steal it from underneath your dad's bed. You know what I mean? Like it was like work to get it. You know what I mean? Now it's just like, it's there. It's there. It's one of the biggest industries in the world. One of the biggest, biggest industries and money makers in the world. And yet it will completely, completely destroy the way that you think about your future spouse or your spouse that you have right now completely destroy them. If you don't believe me, look up stories of people that have talked about it. And if you don't believe them, listen, you need to get in the word because I promise you, this thing will destroy your mindset. It will destroy everything. And if you got into it, here's another thing I want to say. If you got into it early, you have an anchoring bias. This is how, this is how you view every other woman or every other man that you see. Because if you saw something when you were 11, 12 years old, 13 years old, and you never really got over it and you're still stuck in that sin, maybe you don't look at it anymore, but you still have some of these images steered in your head. You still have these things that you remember from way, way back in the day, right? And it literally will affect your sexual, uh, um, your sexual life with your spouse, even to this day, 30, 40 years later. I promise you, it will affect that. And so we got to ask God to cleanse our minds, right? 
right? Cleanse our hearts from all these things, right? So we can get out of that stuff. Um, ones we don't talk about as much though. And this is what's, this is what's kind of cool is those are like the main ones, right? Everybody knows that stuff, right? And maybe some people don't, but here is one that I think is really interesting. And many historians think this is the Bible's most surprising thing that it says about sex. And it's found in 1 Corinthians 7, three through four. The husband should give his wife her conjugal rights. Basically, that means they should have sex, all right? Uh, The husband should give that to his wife. Likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Just like we talked about last week, this would have been really normal for them. That would have been a very normal thing. Oh, the husband has authority over, you know, the wife's body. Okay, in that culture, that would have been a very, very widely accepted truth. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And that is the kicker, right? And all the guys were like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. You mean to tell me that my wife has just as much authority over my body as I do, right? I thought I owned this woman, right? That's the kind of culture that they walked in. And the Bible's saying, no, 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 no. Listen, this is, it goes back to what we talked about last week, mutual submission, this idea that, that I give you everything and you give me everything. We talked about those hopes, dreams, and desires. And how many of y'all know uh, that, there, that maybe some dudes in here have some hopes, dreams, and desires when it comes to the bedroom, right? Amen. You know what I'm saying? Like y'all might have some hopes, dreams, and desires, but y'all just calm down for a second, okay? Like I'll give you a win in a moment, I promise. Just, just, just chill, you know? Uh, but this, once again, was that radical idea for their culture. It was, it was widely accepted, but um, often they would have many different partners. The men would. They would have lots of different wives. They would have concubines. They would have servants. And they were sexually promiscuous with all of them. That was a very normal, normal thing. So let's go to another verse. It says in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So, this is the best piece of advice ever in the history of the Bible. And it's because he's literally saying, have sex often, to which all the men finally, I gave you the win. You're welcome, guys. Come on now. Like, yes, all the married people are like, come on, that's a good piece of advice right there. I will take it. Yeah, <laughs> it's much better to have sex often, okay? Why does he say this? So that you won't get tempted to find it somewhere else. That's the most practical piece of advice I have ever seen in the Bible. This gives a preventative accountability measure for you. That's kind of what we talked about in week two even, about accountability and trust. Like, let's set up an accountability for one another, have sex a lot, so that we ain't looking around for somebody else, right? That's an accountability thing that you can even set up. So you can go home uh, and just remind your spouse that Pastor Trevor said that we have to have sex a lot. Okay, there you go. That's a good, that's, that one's free for you guys. So last one, number four, is that God gives grace. God gives grace. And uh, Sadie or Tim, whoever wants to come up and, and play for me today, because we're going we're gonna to pray for some people today. But God gives grace. Sexual impurity is one of the worst sins to get in. And I know you might be saying, well, I thought all sins were equal. Okay, yeah. But the problem with sexual sin is that it usually comes with a lot of other ones too. And it comes with a lot of baggage, Right? It comes with a lot of times with lying, with, with covering it up because you don't want anybody to find out. And also it involves usually somebody else. 
So not only are you sinning against your own body, but you're sinning against theirs too. You're sinning against God and, and, and your body is supposed to be this temple, right? This temple of God and, 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 and we're just not using it in the way that God had designed us to use our bodies. And so it's a really tough one to get into and to get out of, honestly. And God's plan for marriage, we talked about this in Genesis 2. It's one man, one woman, one marriage, one flesh, one lifetime. But the problem is, is the enemy, Satan has come to steal, to kill, to destroy and to pervert what God called good. So my buddy, he's a, he's a mentor of mine, still to this day. And I remember I was 19. I had just started into full-time ministry in San Antonio. And he had been married for a couple of years. And he's kind of a cut-up. He's a funny dude. But he, he was talking to me and having a serious conversation. And he said, hey, I want you to know, uh, you know, sex is good. And I was like, eh. you know, this 19-year-old kid, like, what? What is he saying? Like, sex is good. Like, it's awesome. It's like, we love having it, a lot of it. So, but the problem is, is if you use it outside of the context that God has designed it for, it can be one of the most destructive things in your life. When used appropriately, I mean, hey man, it's, it's, it's gonna be great for you. But you need to make sure you, you hold on to that, bro, because it's good, but it can destroy your life, it can destroy the way you think of women. And I've never, ever, ever forgotten that. How many of you ever use something uh, the wrong way, right? There's, you have the wrong tool for the job. You know, you're going to have a tough time getting it done, right? Any of you guys that have ever worked with tools or anything like that, or even just in your work, whatever it is that you're doing, you know, if you are, are, are trying to use a, a hammer where you need a screwdriver, sometimes maybe you could make it work, right? But it's not going to be the most efficient, right? You use the wrong tool for the wrong job. And that's basically what's happening here. You got to use the right tool for the, for the right job, okay? And if you use it outside of the context that it's supposed to be used, it could be very destructive. It could actually destroy the wood that you're, that you're working on. It could destroy the frame, the house that you're working on. It will completely mess up everything that you've been working on. But what about messed up big? This is the question I get a lot from the young adults and from the high school kids that, that I would talk to. What if I mess up big? Where do I go from there? That's hard. I understand. Sexual sin is one of the most difficult to deal with, especially because when you do have sex with someone, you're, you're, it's not just a physical thing. And that's what culture will try to tell you. It's just physical. Like we're just doing our thing, right? But no, 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 it's not just physical. You're literally spiritually connecting with this person, whether you realize it or not. Sex is, is, affects every area of our being. It's not only physical, but it's mental as well. It's emotional and it's spiritual. This is why it's so hard to overcome these kinds of sin. And the Bible does have a lot to say about overcoming it though. Maybe you have been caught in some kind of sexual sin in your past or maybe you're in it right now and you've been hiding it. The problem with the fall is at the very beginning of time when God designed sex, right? He had Adam and Eve, he had them together. What does the Bible say? They were naked and unashamed. They were completely unashamed. They were just hanging out, didn't cover themselves up. They didn't need to because there was no shame. There was no guilt, nothing like that. But then when sin came in and when Satan came in, and when they sinned against God, right, what was the first thing that they realized? Oh, I'm naked. You're naked. Oh, we got we to gotta cover ourselves up. And that's what sexual sin has done to us ever since then. As we realize, I got to cover that up. 
that sin in my life, that sexual sin, that impurity in my life. I know that it's there, but I'm not going to talk about it because I I can't. That's weird. I I don't have anybody to talk to. I got to cover this thing up. I'm hiding it. And there's a lot of uh, shame and guilt and condemnation that will come with that. And it happened at the very beginning of time since Adam and Eve. And ever since then, we have been covering ourselves up, covering up all the things that we're struggling with. And this is just one of those things. But the Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has gone and the new has what? Come. Second Corinthians 5.17. Then in Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, I want to tell you today, if you have been caught in sexual sin in your life, if you have a bad understanding of what sex is supposed to be, and today the Holy Spirit is starting to convict your heart about a couple of things, maybe you're, you've been married for 30 years, but you realize that maybe you're not communicating the right way with your spouse about it. Maybe you realize that your eyes are wandering around, guys that have been in relationships for a little bit. Maybe you're looking at stuff online. Maybe you're not doing that anymore, but you know that you did things in the past and you've never forgiven yourself. You've never gotten over it and you're still living the same way you still feel like you're in that same spot you could take yourself back 10 15 20 years ago and remember the same things the same sin and it all comes back and you just listen if that's you today there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus you give it to God today right now and he will take care of it for you If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The Bible says that he will wash you white as snow. The Bible says that he can take all of your thoughts. He can cleanse your mind. David prayed that so many times that God, like renew my spirit, renew my mind. I literally have prayed over young adults and over high school kids sometimes that God would erase memories, would erase images in their minds that have been burned into their eyes from looking at pornography online. I have prayed that over kids and I believe that God can do it for you. He can. And listen, this is so important for us to get this because it literally shapes the way that you think about the opposite sex. It shapes the way that you'll think about your spouse. And it is so important for a healthy relationship to have a healthy sex life. We know this because of what the Bible says. He says, have sex often. It's a good thing. And yet it's so perverted and so messed up because of our biases that we got when we were 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, because of the people that we slept with, whatever it might be. For those of you that are divorced maybe and that, that thought, well, I've already gone... all the way anyway, so now I can just do whatever, right? Listen, I'm telling you, God has so much better for you than that. So much better for you than that. He wants you to live a life of purity, not because it's just restricting. He just doesn't want you to have any fun, right? That's not what God in the Bible is all about. He wants to have a relationship with you. He's a perfect God, and he wants to have a relationship with you. How do we do this? We're not perfect people, but Jesus was. And he died on the cross for you and for me so that we wouldn't have to carry around that guilt and that shame and that condemnation anymore. And so I believe that right now he wants to release some of you from that today. He wants to erase some things in your mind that have been there for years and years. Single people, he wants to get you back on track. He wants to remind you that there is somebody out there that, that is perfect for you. And until then, listen, you give yourself to God. You devote yourself to him. Young people, I'm looking at you. Kids that might be in the room here today, Listen, don't listen to what your friends say about it. Don't listen to what TikTok says about it or what you hear on the news or what you hear anywhere else, okay? 
If you're a kid in this place today, I'm glad you're here. You needed to hear this, okay? Listen to what God says. Ask your parents, okay? Parents, I'm sorry. But ask your parents about it. I'm serious. I'm dead serious. I wish I would have had maybe a few more conversations with my parents. I got a book. (laughs) Read this, son. (laughs) I get it. I get it. Uh, Everybody stand here. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything like that today. Uh, This is sensitive stuff, all right? But what I want you to do is just... It's just, you know, the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart right now, whatever that thing is, okay? And if you want to give that to God, I would just ask that you would, uh, you would agree with me in prayer today uh, that God's going to help you to live free from sin, free from sexual impurity. You're going to have a good understanding. And parents, uh, he's going to help you to talk to your kids about this too. He's going to help you. And if you have five, six, seven-year-old kids, okay, like I hope that you would remember this when the time is right, right? And you would look to the Bible yourself. So when that time does come, Man, God will reveal that to you. You'll know when to talk to him about it, all right? Let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for uh, just this time looking to your word on a sensitive topic, but a topic that is so important and sometimes is so overlooked. God, I ask that you would help us to, to live lives that are pure before you, God. To, to understand that, that even though we might mess up, When we do mess up, God, and we have this guilt and this shame, this condemnation, Lord, maybe that's years and years old from things that we've seen, things that we've done. I pray that you would right now start to erase those things in these people's minds. God, in the name of Jesus, I declare a fresh mind, a fresh spirit in the name of Jesus, that chains of sexual addiction would be broken in their lives right now in the name of Jesus. We declare that today, God, right now that those chains are broken off, whether it is a generational curse, a generational chain, Lord, they feel like they can't get out of it. They feel like their kids are going to go through the same thing that they did. No, 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 no. We're not doing that. God, today, right now, by your Holy Spirit, we are saying that is broken in the name of Jesus. I declare that over these people. Father, if anyone has an addiction to pornography right now, would you break that in the name of Jesus? The images in their mind, erase them in the name of Jesus. Gone, Father, so that they can live a life that is holy before you, so they can have a good relationship with you, so that they can have a good relationship with their spouse or with their future spouse, for the single people, for the kids that are here today. God, I pray that you would not let them be influenced by culture. You would not let them be influenced by their friends, by TikTok, by music, by TV, by anything. God, I pray that you would have them be influenced by you, by your word, what you have to say, and by healthy conversations that we have in church and that their parents have with them, God. That is the blueprint for a healthy young adult. And so, God, I pray that you would keep our kids safe in that way. Father, if they've already messed up and they're getting convicted right now, Father, I pray that you would remind them that that will not define them for the rest of their life and they can start fresh right now. Same thing with people that are married right now in the name of Jesus, I declare. If they have been in adultery, if they've been hiding something, they've been covering something up, whatever it might be, God, I pray that you would heal them in the name of Jesus. I pray that healthy, life-giving conversations with spouses would come out of this today, Father, that they would not hide, cover up their sin any longer but they would lay it down at your feet. And as we lay it at your feet, we know that the battle belongs to you, Jesus. It's not us fighting God. It's not us fighting against ourselves, against our spouse, Father. It's it's you fighting against Satan. It's you fighting for us in our lives. And we know that you never fail. You never lose, God. So we come to you today for every person that is lifting up this prayer to you, every person that's agreeing with this and asking for that, Father, we just say, Lord, would you do it? And we believe that it is already 
done in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Would you get up for Jesus today? God is doing some things in our hearts right now. I believe it. Uh, This is very, very important. And and I would love to, um, if there's any couples that that need to talk to a pastor or anything like that, I just want to let you know we're here for you. You can reach out to us. We We will gladly have a conversation. Single people, whatever it might be, we would love to talk to you. Come back next week for Palm Sunday. Invite somebody to Easter at Radical Church. We're going to have a ton of fun. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you later.